This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work at pcaac.org. This is Gifts and Graces. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Randy Pope on passing the leadership baton. Randy is the founding pastor of Perimeter Church outside of Atlanta, Georgia. After four decades as lead pastor, Randy transitioned to serve as an assistant pastor at the church and lead its life-on-life discipleship ministry. In this episode, Randy discusses the importance of a ministry plan and involving your elders in the succession process. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered in June 2019 at the PCA General Assembly in Dallas, Texas. Let's listen to Randy Pope's insights on passing the leadership baton. uh, I'm sure that we all have uh, different stories right now as to where we are in thinking succession, transition. By the way, we're using the term transition a lot because I'm not retiring Uh, I am actually about a few months out from where I will be uh, transitioning to an assistant pastor role in the same church. And there are pros and cons, as you know, about pastors staying along or pastors leaving. And we've certainly evaluated all that. We might want to talk a little bit uh, through that if you'd like. Um, The man that is uh, going to be taking my position uh, is uh, actually... Uh, here with us, Jeff, if you'll raise your hand in the back where they can see, uh, you might want to really ask him how it goes, and that way you'll get a better perspective. Jeff Norris is his name. And um, so uh, we'll just interact on this as we go, but I want to give some content just to kind of give us something to kind of come off of as we begin. Let me uh, let tell you that maybe the beginning of our story would be helpful. When uh, when we planted the church, I, I'm a, a planter uh, in Atlanta at Perimeter Church, and when I planted there, that's been uh, 42 plus years ago now. It's a long time ago. And uh, our elders, uh, as we had our first little group of elders, we made a commitment that we would spend every fifth year, at least the fifth year, uh, evaluating not Am I committed to another five? Because you never can tell in a five-year period of time. But is my intention to stay on another five years or not? And to hear from them, do you think I should be around here another five or so years? And that way we would know each other's thoughts and intentions. And we even talked about every third year into the fifth that there would be some kind of a little question and find out, you know. So we just wanted to to keep abreast on that. Well, after the first several five years, it got to be where it was almost, yeah, yeah, and we didn't have much to say. I'm I'm interested to keep going. And they said, we're interested for you to keep going. And so there was not much to it. When we came to year 20, we came to that discussion. And uh, I think the elders were assuming it was going to be another, yeah, yeah, and let's keep going. And I said, "Um, I think it's time for us to start a, a succession plan. 
Well, the first thought of hearing that was that maybe I've now decided to leave. So they said, so are, are you planning on leaving? And I said, I am. And uh, when do you see that? And I say, well, hopefully in about 20 more years. I think that'd be a good time, maybe around year 40-ish, something like that. That'd probably be, you know, where I'm intended to go at least. And so, well, why do you need a succession plan? I said, well, because we need to be thinking now about how we do that so we can be prepared for that once we get there. And so we made a commitment that we would, on a regular basis, we would have at least an annual basis that we would, we would uh, have a, a written update to where we were and how we were coming in the succession plan, that there would be some triggers that we would want to pull along the way to get us ready for the next, to the next, to the next, so that when it came time for us to now actually make the transition, that it's something that we have well thought through, we've been working on it for a long time, and it's been a, a, you know, something that we can say we gave attention to this early on. Uh, I'm a great proponent of that. Uh, I think planning is always wise. You, you plan, but then you open your hands before the Lord, and you say, Lord, you direct our steps. But we plan our way, He directs the steps. So I think that's always good. And, uh, and that's basically what we've done. We've changed those plans as we've gone. It hasn't stayed firm, you know, exactly. But I'll finish out the story at the end so you can kind of see how that kind of came to fruition for us. But, but uh, this has been something in the works for a long, long, long time. People in the church had no clue. When we announced it to the church, there was no sense of, I, I bet it's time. I think he's about to leave. I think this is, it was kind of, really? And, uh, but at the same time, it was such that there was not a, there was no sort of pain or agony because of, I think, what you're about to hear. Okay? So I, you've got a handout. I'm going to walk right through it. For people who are listening to this on, on audio, uh, you can go to www.perimeter.org slash GA2019, and you can uh, get the outline there. So let's just walk through it. It's pretty brief. Success in experiencing a, an effective succession transition in great part, will be determined by four factors. And you see those four. Choice of governance, choice of ministry model, quality of ministry plan, and thoroughness of succession plan. So let me touch on each of those. I'll probably spend a little bit more time at the front end here. Uh, Embrace a healthy form of governance. Now I'm going to talk about uh, the two options says there should be under number one. It's up too high. Let's go down. As regards uh, to uh, uh, day-to-day governance, I'm going to suggest there are two uh, two options that we have uh, for the governance of our church. And I I think there may be some very large implications to that, to succession. So uh, hear me, kind of hang on with me here because I'm going to come back to show you where this may tag in. Number one, elders rule and lead, staff executes. Think about that a minute. Elders rule and elders lead, staff executes. Now, no response. What do you think when you hear that, good or bad? Don't respond. Just to yourself, good or bad? I'm going to suggest to you a different alternative to that, and that would be elders rule, staff leads and executes. I will certainly admit if you are a single pastor, single staff church, that's going to be different. But assuming that you do have several staff at the church, I would 
I would suggest that will be a better approach. Let me try to explain what I'm talking about. If you're an elder rule, an elder lead, it means that basically everything that's happening in the life of the church of importance is going through that body of elders. So it's just, if it's going to get done, it's going to be done because the elders approved it. Now, there's a different approach you can go to that, and that's the elders' rule. They have a final say on any and everything, obviously. They are the authority of the church. Outside of Jesus, they are the, under him, the authority of the church. So we don't ever want to buck that. You don't want a church where the pastor, whatever he says, goes, and it's going to... No, you want there to be those that can say, no, we're not doing that. But the ideal, in my opinion at least, my... My suggestion would be if you had had it where the elders rule, but let the staff lead and execute. Now, let's skip down here to as regards succession governance. Now, the two options are going to be these, I believe. Number one, congregation rules and leads and executes. I think that's how most of the churches that I've watched in the PCA over the years, that's the way their governance has worked when looking for the next pastor. What that's saying is the congregation is going to have the final vote, and that is what our book of church order says, and we believe in following the book of church order, I mean, totally, so we're not at all thinking let's skim it and get around it and all of that. They do have the responsibility, so you cannot hire a new pastor without the congregation approving of that pastor. Now, when it comes to how does that pastor ever get there, you know there's got to be a nominating committee that's approved by the congregation. In that sense, they're going to be ruling. They're going to have, their, they're going to have the final say. But now the question is, who is going to do, who's going to do the leading and the executing to get to the point where that person is brought before the church and say, here's the person we think should be the next person. And that's where I think we have to make some decisions. Are we going to follow the, the classical, you know, traditional approach, which nothing wrong with that at all. But I'm going to suggest, as you'll hear through this, that the, and I'm going to use the term odds, we have a God that ordains all things, I'm certainly there, but you know what I'm talking about, that we are making it much, much, much more challenging. So, not the way to do it. For instance, if I were to say, okay, uh, talking to my daughter. Honey, you can, uh, it, you're getting the age now where you should be dating and, and seeing people and determining if, you know, who the right person is for you. And uh, here's what let's do. Let's get a list of, of, uh, of five guys that are interested and, and uh, y'all, you know, spend together, you know, a few times, be together, and then choose which one you think would be the best. Well, that's not going to go too good usually. There are probably some good stories that come out of that. But I don't want to do it that approach. I would much rather say, hey, why don't we do it this way? And now you're going to be going into it a much different way where you really, 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 really know who it is that you're marrying, right? So in light of that, congregation rules and leads, uh, 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 leads and executes would be the, the, uh, the first option. The second is the congregation rules, they have the final say, but the elders and staff, they lead and they execute. Now, I'm going to pause there because that may be confusing and you may not be seeing what I'm saying when I say that. So let me hear what you're hearing there. 
Are you following what I'm saying? Congregation, going to have to make the final decision. Maybe I'll put it this way. Who best knows who to bring before the church to be that next person? The way I've often seen it happen uh, among our churches is you get a couple of youth, you get a couple of singles, you get a couple of young marrieds, you get a couple of older elders, leaders of the church. They form a committee and they go out and they find the next pastor. And they bring that pastor to the congregation and they say, here's somebody. What do you think about him? And so you either vote him up or you vote him down. What are we typically looking at when we get someone like that? What are we seeing about them? More than anything else, their communication ability. Do they have a good heart? Do they love the Lord? And do they communicate the message of the gospel, the teaching of scripture in a very clear and healthy way? I hope that we are a people here that are learning that leadership in a church is far beyond how well you communicate, what kind of speaker you are, whether you really love the Lord. If you want to be very effective, you're going to have to have some other things a part of what you do, right? And that's the part I think that's often overlooked. So what I'm going to do is suggest kind of a, a way to go about it, assuming that you agreed there. If you think we're just looking for a pulpiteer, the best speaker, then I think what we do is perfectly fine. But I'm going to assume that many of us are saying, no, there's a lot more to it than just that. So here are some questions that I think have to be able to be answered by whoever it is that's going to take the responsibility of leading and executing in a transition or succession. All right. Here's the first question. What should the primary role of the pastor be? That's a good question. I bet if I ask us right here as a group, what do you think the primary role of the pastor would be? I bet we'd get a lot of different answers. And not that only one is right, but I'll tell you this, we better have thought through it for our church and say, what is it we really do think is the primary role of our pastor? Is it going to be prophet? Is it going to be priest? Is it going to be king? You follow what I'm saying there in terms of prophet, priest, and king? Is it going to be primarily uh, the one that declares the truth? Is it going to be the one that shepherds the flock? Uh, is it going to be the one that gives leadership <clears throat> to the life of the church? I, I don't, that's what you've got to figure out. What does this church need? Not just we want profit. Who's the best profit? Uh, don't go there. That, that's an important factor. But uh, and we'll get a little bit more into that in a minute. Number two, what is the description of the culture and health you're trying to create? I dare say few churches probably today are discussing in their leadership the culture and the health of church. Uh, a lot of experience that I have with churches and friends that lead churches and so forth is that there's a lot of talk about how well we're growing, whether we're getting more people in, whether they're leaving or not. Uh, we've got a lot of questions about how are the finances of the church? Are we stabilized? Are we growing? Are we healthy there? Are we doing? But what is the health of the church? Uh, in our church, we have 12 characteristics of a healthy church that that uh, we formulated years ago. And, and that's kind of a, a guide that I keep looking at. Uh, where are we on these 12? And I would say of most churches, not a PCA necessarily, but, but of most churches, I've been only two or three on that list 
would be those that you would check off on most churches. So I go, well, what are we after? So I can tell you right now in our church, we have not been, we, we will not be. We're not about size. In fact, I don't even really like big churches a whole lot. We're a fairly large church. I mean, in many respects, there are things I don't... Uh, some of you may have heard me share this story before. If you heard me speak, if I'm ever talking about church, I'll say, hey, what would you think if I walked in here a year from now, came back to the next assembly, was doing a, doing a seminar, and obviously I'm the same height, but I've put on 150 to 200 pounds. How many people would see me walk in and go, wow, oh my, that's amazing. How do you do that? I'd like to see if I can't do that too. You'd probably look at me without saying anything and say, I don't think he's too healthy right now. I think something's gone wrong. Oh, but look, I've gotten bigger. Well, let me tell you, big does not mean healthy. Now, if you're healthy and big, that's kind of impressive sometimes when you see a guy come in that's, you know, six foot ten and he's, you know, strong and lean and all you. <clears throat> well, that's that's pretty amazing. Don't see many people like that. But the truth of it is God determines how tall we are, what our best heaviest weight would be. So why are we into that? Why don't we start thinking health, health, health? What's healthy? What's healthy? What's healthy? So whoever it is is going to be going out in the search for the church to figure out who is going to be the successor. There better be a great understanding by those people, these issues. And I'm saying if you have somebody who is chosen, elected, nominated from the congregation, these two youth, these two this, you... Let me tell you, to school them in these areas is going to be virtually impossible. That's why you're going to see another few things that are coming up that I'm going to suggest need to be happening long before you get to this time. So number three question, what are the mindsets of the staff, officers, and congregation that have to be changed in order to become an extremely healthy church? Now, I'm a, a strong believer that if you want to change a church... Uh, you're going to have to change the culture. Culture is a very, very challenging thing to change. Uh, I'm going to use culture to be defined here, uh, not technically correct probably, but what most of the people do most of the time. Let's call that your culture. Most of the people do most of the time. So what are the things that our church is doing most of the time? Uh, do we have a culture of evangelism? Uh, of missional living, of winning people to Christ in our church, or do we not? And, I mean, I evaluate our church. I say, I think that's a culture that's missing in big part in our church. Even though, statistically, we might be a church that's kind of at, at the front end of, of maybe seeing conversions, but I look at the, our people and everything, and I go, oh, I, I don't think that culture is consistently through our church at all. I think we have a long, long way to go there. What about training disciples and equipping? Do we have that culture in our church? Do we have a culture of dependency upon the Lord? Do we have a, a culture of, of, of prayer in the church? Do we have a culture of, what is it? I don't know. You've got to figure out. What are the things that describe the church that we want it to be, and it's not yet what it needs to be? Who is a person that could come in and take us toward that, as opposed to who can keep the preaching alive and strong in this church, hopefully attracting people? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But for a church to be healthy, you've got to go beyond that. So why not think of the leader and who are you looking for in terms of these things? Next, 
What are the behaviors of the staff, officer, and congregation that have to be changed in order to become an extremely healthy church? So if you're going to <clears throat> change the culture, you have to change the mindsets of people. People think, eh, people die, and I know there's a heaven and a hell, but, you know, yeah, okay. That's a mindset that you're never going to see a church become missional. Unless they start believing people perish and go to hell, that it's the commission of our, of our Savior who tells us this is what we do. This is how we live. This is what we're all about. Oh, okay, well, I guess I need a different mindset. You think about the mindset of the young uh, soldiers of this country in World War I or World War II, and, and some certainly in, in, uh, in Vietnam. And on. I mean, there's always a lot of people that are volunteering there, but the nation as a whole, think of the mindset that's changed. I mean, people are saying, I'm D Day, we just celebrated the 75th year. Okay, I'm going, I don't care. I'm, I'm going to be the, let me be in the front line. I know everybody, 90% of the front line will die. You know, I don't care. We got to get up there to save our country. I'll give my life right now. Let's go do it. And today, that's not the mindset that we have. So until there's a love and appreciation and an understanding of the duty we have before our, our country and so forth, then we're not going to have that kind of behavior. So here's the point. You've got to have somebody who's going to come in and say, all right, it's my job to help this church develop the right culture, which is going to mean shaping the mindset. And the only way that's going to happen is by the behaviors being what the behaviors need to be. But the behaviors will actually come as a result of those things. So it's somebody who's thinking about these type of issues. Do the people we put on the pulpit committee, do they understand that and how to do that? Probably not. That's why I'm going to make an argument in a minute for who I will suggest should do that. Number uh, five, what kind of person is most qualified to lead the model our church has chosen? And so I'm going to speak in a minute about model, and so we'll hang on to that. But keep in mind, uh, basically churches are embracing certain models, whether they define it, know it or not. And, and they got to figure out what is our model? Is that the model we think we should be? Is it the model we want to continue to be? And once we identify that, okay, who is the right person to lead that kind of model? That becomes a big issue. Number six. Who is the best person suited to giving leadership, which will enable the church to effectively execute the church's ministry plan? And because I'm coming back to plan in just a couple of minutes, let's hold that and we'll talk about plan in just a minute. All right. Now, let me give you a few recommendations. These are my recommendations. It's not toward right versus wrong. It's just my recommendations. Take it as counsel. And that's it. All right. Recommendations regarding the choice of church governance. And I'm talking now in general, the, for governing the life of the church, not succession, but in the life of the church. Number one, adopt a board structure that includes as many officers as there are willing and qualified candidates. So when I ask a, a pastor of a church that say is 5,000 people, and I say, how many elders do you have in the church? And they say, we have eight. I say, how many people do you have in your church? 30,000, 20,000, 10,000, 5,000, whatever. The, and I hear, we have eight. And I go, eight? Oh, you only have eight people qualified to be elders in your entire church? Oh, we got other people out there that are qualified. And my thought is, why would you not? 
let them be elders. Why, are you, why did you cap it at eight? In fact, shouldn't it be that we say, Scripture says, aspire to the office of elder to our men. Why wouldn't we say, hey men, aspire to the office of elder. Why don't you be an elder? I know, oh, you're not qualified? Yeah, I know. That's why, why don't we get qualified so you can? I mean, shouldn't that be the, who can, who, and let's, if you're qualified, let's bring you in. We need as many as possible in the church. Like I look at our church and, and we have a, a, I think it's close to 300. I don't know the number of elders in our church, but around 300 elders in our church. And I'll tell you right now, it's too few elders. Uh, we're constantly having the discussion, man, we know God's got people here, you know, that are qualified. Let's, let's get them, let's talk to them about their willingness to serve. This is an important role. We need more and more and more and more people to take care of the flock. They're the pastors. So why would we not want as many pastors as possible? We don't pay them a dime. I mean, that can't be an issue. It's not money. They're all volunteer anyway, right? So let's get as many as we possibly could get. Number two, when enough elders to, do, uh, to allow, and a small church is not going to have the opportunity to have a lot of elders. I know that, and therefore, you've got to take that into account here. But when enough elders to allow, use a commission of the, of the elders to fulfill its ruling function. So when I'm talking to that person and I say, you got how many? Eight? Well, why? Why, why don't you have just eight? Don't, don't you want to have as many as possible? I said, oh, man, you can't get any business done with more than eight, nine people. That's all you can do in a business meeting. And immediately something trips in me and says, uh-oh, this is thought of as business. Nothing wrong with business principles being brought into the life of church. They're very practical, appropriate, and good. No problem there. But... No, 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 no. Now we want to be saying, wait, this, we want to run this thing in, in a way that is going to work. And yeah, if you put 20 people in a, in, a, in a church boardroom, 30 people in a church boardroom, I would hate to think what would happen. In fact, somebody just asked me, since being here, they said that we were talking about what led you to the type governance? We were basically, you know, what led to the governance? of the church that we have. And the answer is because I got to experience by being brought in by a pastor, allowing me just to sit in their session meeting, I began to watch an elder meeting that I left and I said, I don't know how if I become a pastor that I will ever lead, but it won't be this way. Because I saw 30 people in a rows just like this. There was a table up here with a you know, with the uh, uh, clerk that was kind of ruling everything and the moderator stood up here and, and then I heard, you know, a motion here and, and Robert, you know, Robert's rule was run and everything. And, and I did, I left going, oh my goodness. And I said, you know what I would love? I would love to have a church leadership that's a family. How many families have a meal and use Robert's rule of order? I mean, you know, I make a motion that you pass the green beans. I'll second that motion. Okay, here come the green beans. Any discussion? Yeah, there's not enough green beans for everybody. He's had, you know, okay, let's take a vote. Should he get more green beans or should he not get green You don't want to do that. Well, there's a little mess maybe without Robert's rules. But when you, now there's a time you've got to have Robert's rule. I wouldn't want to be at, a, at, a, at this meeting without Robert's rules. You've got to have it. 
But the point that they're making, and it's a good one, is you need a smaller group if you want it to be family. And that's why I think our Book of Church order provides the commission. And as will there be elders at large that will say, we will vote on a commission of us that will take that responsibility and will free the rest of us to do the work of pastoring, which you don't see a lot in the Bible about the business meeting of the elders. You see a whole lot about the activity of elders and it's teaching and, you know, equipping and all the stuff that uh, pastoring, shepherding. I mean, there's a lot the the table, the uh, discipline in the church. I mean, there is so much for elders to do. My goodness. And why, why would we think that the big part is being in a business decision? Or not business, but in the, in the decisions to rule and give. Why, let, let, the rest, let the rest do what we all wish we could be doing. But let's let a few take that position in the commission. Number three, um, distinguish between policy and program and leave the policy to the elders and the programs to the staff. That would be if there are enough staff to be able to do that. If not, you can't. But assuming the church is now getting to be a size, you're getting now uh, uh, three or four people are staff, let the staff, let them, do the, let them do the programming. Can you imagine in a corporate world, not that they are our, that's who we look at to learn, but just for illustration purposes, can you imagine in a, in a corporate world having these people that own their own businesses who come on the board of this other business and these are the best of the best, and they get invited in, they get a little money because they get to come in and work on this board. They're the board of directors, and they start in their board of directors meeting talking about where does the Coke machine go in the break room? What's the color carpet? Are we going to have a missions conference, or are we just going to do four mission nights during the year? Are we going to do what? Dot, 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 dot. And next thing you know, They're making all the decisions of the church. But you're thinking, how ineffective is that? They don't even live in the day-to-day operation of the church, but they're trying to make decisions of how that might happen. Now, let the staff do that with the understanding that the elders have the rule so they can counter anything the staff does at any time. And as they begin to make bad decisions, they come in and say, whoa, 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 now we're going to have to understand that. But with the ideal saying, hey, we want you to do that. We want to deal with the policy issues that are broad, that affect the life of the church in a very important way. Now, number four, have the commission of elders routinely pastor the pastor. Now, I know where I'm going at the end and you don't. So I'm going to just tell you here, I'm going to be suggesting that that little group of elders that are working so tightly in the life of the church, they're going to probably be the best people to be able to determine who should be the next pastor. They and probably the top staff that have been working in giving leadership to the rest of the staff. They probably, you know, I don't know. And that depends on how big the church is. But there are going to be certain people that are working through this. So in our church, uh, years ago... um, One of our elders made the recommendation. They said, Randy, what would you think? What would you think if we had a period of time every month 
different than our meeting where we meet for our elder meeting. And it was just an hour for us to pastor you. And uh, I've shared this with a lot of pastors and most of the response I hear is this. It'll be the day hell freezes over. It ain't happening to me. I'm not going to have that. No, 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 no. I told our elders, I'd do it, but I'd like to do this. I would like for them to hold me accountable. I would like for them to hold me accountable. Now, that's the part they say, no, no, no. And I understand there could not be a more risky, dangerous thing for a pastor to do is to sit before a group of elders and share the truth of their heart and where it is, their very worst behaviors, their worst thoughts, their worst of attitudes, and share that knowing you're not even safe people. You're going to take this and you're going to crucify me with this. I understand that. But I tell you, that's an ideal that you would love to get to. And uh, I, I know this, it is, a, it is a high mark of my month with, with these guys. And they, they ask me hard questions. Um, they expect honesty, and I am. And then they pastor me. And they end the time by coming around me and laying hands over me and praying over me and, until we become a brotherhood that's very important. Now, if I'm going to allow that to happen, then I'm certainly going to need a veto, at least listen to my reasoning, to not bring this person on this team. Because, fine, they can come on the team and you have the right to do that, but I'm not going to have that time with you if, it's not, if they're not safe people. So when they're nominated, I'm invited. What do you think? Are there any of these people that people you couldn't share with, couldn't talk to, or wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to have on the team, or whatever it is? They, they ask my opinion, and I say, ah, you know what? I don't have any problem with it. I just don't know them, and, and I'm not sure that I want to do that with somebody I don't even know. That's going to be a little scary, you know? I don't know if I can trust them or not, and I've never had that kind of relationship with them. Sometimes you have to say, do you know them, you know, Gordon, and do you know them, Bill? Do you know them? And, oh, yeah, I do. Trust me. They are safe, and... I go, well, I, I'm going to accept that if y'all, if y'all know that. I just don't know. So, but I'll tell you what. When that happens, they get to know you or me as the pastor, and they begin to know what we need. They get into the fray of this is what it is in giving leadership to this church, and this is what we're trying to accomplish, and here's what's healthy, and here's what we're trying to get the mindset to. I mean, I sit and talk with these guys about mindset and cultures and all these things and try to tell them this is where I'm trying to take the, the, the staff right now. This is where I'm trying to take the officers. This is where I'm trying to take the congregation, blah, 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 blah. What a benefit. Now they understand. So as you're going to see our plan, when we got to our plan, it was, it was pretty obvious who ought to be that team. But let's keep going so we can get to that point. Um, do an annual orientation for all elders and also the commission. In other words, we like to do two orientations. We've always done an orientation for the commission. And this last year, so I said, hey, we need to do an orientation for all of the officers of the church, elders and deacons. An orientation which puts down expectations and uh, typical policy of how we operate and what we're trying to accomplish. All of that is very important. And you can find that. I think you have it on your, on your um, 
uh, sheet there, perimeter.org slash EMT orientation, if you wanted to get a copy of, of what our orientation is. So I'm going to stop there on number one. Real quickly, any, any questions about what we've said thus far? Okay, yeah. Yeah, there's nine people. The question is, how many people are on that team with us? Nine. And uh, I wanted a little bit larger group. We have a lot of, of, of people in our church that travel in business and are going to be gone from time to time. And I didn't want that group to get too small. And, and so we felt like nine would be the largest that we thought would be a healthy number. I wanted it to be an odd number so that if everybody's there in the vote, then, then I don't have to vote. And that's good. It's an odd number. It's they've got their own tiebreaker unless somebody's not there. Um, so I just thought that was a good number, and it's not the number at all. And a smaller church would probably have to have fewer than that. Yeah, that is the commission. It, it is the commission, yeah. The, part of their role is to pastor me. That's correct. That's their job. And you'll see that on the orientation. When you see the orientation, you'll go, oh, yeah, look, that is our, that's their responsibility to, to take care of me, to shepherd me, to protect me. Well, a lot of things. I can go through so many ways they do that. So helpful. But, uh, yes. It's a three-year uh, term of which three are coming on each year, three are going off. So there's always two-thirds that are, have been already on the team. So three new, three leaving. Uh-huh. How they selected. Uh, what we do, I can just tell you how we do it, is, is um, I'll typically ask my staff team who knows the people sometimes better than I, and I, I'd rather me start the process. I say, you come up with people you think would be good in this role. You know what the role is, and they bring a, a list of people. We try to keep uh, one of the three each year that are coming back who've been on it before and have a proven track record, and they can remember the past a little bit to help. And then two new people helps us be fresh and keep looking forward. So we don't have to do that, but that's our, that's our ideal that we look for. And then once they do, and I, I say, yeah, they look, I'm, I'm good with those guys. Then those names are taken to the elder ministry team, that nine-man commission, and they have to approve that, those three names. All right. Then that means they're being nominated to all of the elders. So say 300, none of those names go to the 300 and they have to approve those particular names. Then they're on the, they're on the team. They're a commission. Okay. All right. Let me, uh, they hear somebody. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Have pastored me? Hmm. Well, three new, a, two new a year. And, you know, um, I don't know, 50? 40, 50? I don't know. I mean, I, you could do the math and probably figure it out in all those years. You know, if, it's, if we started doing that 25 years ago, let's say. They know me pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, they know me pretty well. I, mean, I, I didn't know if I, I kind of heard this question, but uh, do you ever have any, like, you have 300 elders, you got nine on the commission. Is there ever any kind of pushback uh, or, or, or elders that might be offended? They wonder why they haven't been uh, asked. 
Okay, good question. For the tape, it, it, out of 300 elders and only nine at a time, any elders hurt, pushed back, offended? I would not say there haven't been. I don't know of any ever. So there may be somebody quietly say, gosh, why didn't they ever pick me? But, um, you know, a lot of the people turn it down when they're invited. And, and some of them, I, and this is what really impresses me when they say, I don't want to give up shepherding and I can't do everything that and all the shepherding that I do. And when you look at the job description of the shepherds, the elders, the, other, the rest of the 300, they're pastoring a flock. I mean, they're really doing the pastoral work. And they say, I don't want to go into a meeting, you know, and spend my time doing that. So a lot of people don't even want it. Yeah. Okay, let's go to number two, and I can be pretty quick, quick on these. Uh, identify the ministry model your church chooses to embrace. I don't have official descript or, or titles and descriptions, and no one is to say what those models are. But I think you'll get a feel if I just call them these. Pastoral model. There's an educational model, there's an attractional model, there's an influential model, there's life-on-life -life model, as we call it. There are others. And I, I think it's important that, that churches identify what they do best, what God has called them to, what they think in their biblical philosophy of ministry is the, the things that, and we should embrace all of these to some degree we know, but you know, to what degree is, or we have a specialty kind of that God's using us more in this area or that area. I'd want to know that before I ever call a person and say, you're the best preacher we've heard. We want you to be our, our person. And their heart and mind isn't at all where the church is or where you want the church to be going. So that becomes, a, to me, a very, very major issue at that point. Okay? I'm not going to say any more about that. Uh, I think I did a seminar one time on models that were here, so maybe that stuff is available. But number three, write a ministry plan as the blueprint for building your church's ministry. I cannot tell you how important it is that the church has a ministry plan. Uh, you can go on online. You can see there uh, how you can get it, primitive.org slash ministry plan if you want to just see our ministry plan. But uh, uh, plan is important. I, I, I've had pastors come up to me and say, uh, you know, Randy, I can't explain in our church, but I'm telling you what. Our people in our church, they're just, they won't sacrifice, they won't serve, they don't give money, they don't do, I mean, they are just so, I don't know what's wrong with our people. They, I can't, ah, so frustrated with them. And I say, this is a response. Can I see your ministry plan? This is what I typically hear. My what? Your ministry plan. Uh... You mean our motto? I said, no, your ministry plan. Mm, I don't think I have a, I don't know. I don't know what it would be. And then I say in response to that, I say, can you imagine a business person coming up to a good friend who has a lot of discretionary investment monies and saying, hey, I'm starting a new business and I'd love for you to invest in it. Would you be willing to do so? And they're going to say, maybe so. Tell me about it. And you as the businessman say, well, it's going to be a, a very, very, very profitable business. Now, are you interested in, in investing? Well, could you tell me what you're going to be doing to make it so profitable? Oh, of course. I'm so sorry. Yeah. What we're going to do is we're going to make a lot of things for a very little amount of money. And then we're going to sell a lot of them for a lot of money. 
and make big profits. Would you like to invest? And they go, uh. and finally, what do they say? Can I see your business plan? Of course, business plan. How many people in business would say, oh, we would do far better without a business plan? I don't care if you're doing good. They say, I bet we would do better with a business plan if it's a good business plan. And I said, do you understand that people are saying, I don't want to invest in your church when all you're saying is, oh, we're, what are we trying to Oh, we're going to make a great church. Well, well, tell me about the church. Oh, it's going to be growing. Well, tell me about it. It's going to get good. You're going to love it. And they go, not really. That doesn't, doesn't grab my heart. Maybe it should, but it doesn't. So plan is important. And when I think of plan, I think of these elements. There is purpose, why we exist. There's vision, what we're trying to accomplish. There's mission, how we, will, uh, how we uh, accomplish our vision. Values, what's most important to us. Goals, how will we know if we are accomplishing our purpose and vision. And you can go on slash ministry plan at perimeter.org and you can see ours if you're interested in the ministry plan. But I, I really think that's important because if I'm going to call a pastor to a church, if I'm that church, I'd be saying, here's the plan we have. Are you with this plan or are you not with this plan? And where are you and where are you not? This is going to tell us a lot whether you should be the next person giving leadership to this church or we got to be ready to see that whole plan ripped up, thrown away. Or, you know, that would not be good. Number four, develop a long-range succession plan updated annually by the commission of the session. So uh, let me kind of now conclude the story for us. So here now we're at 40, you know, years and it's time now. We got to be, we've been pulling triggers all along and now it's time to, to make it happen. And so we're right in the middle of it right now, quite frankly. And one of the hesitations I have to even doing this, ours may go terrible. I don't know. But to date, it's gone very well. But here's basically what happened. Those 22 years ago, when we said we need a plan, I said, now, here's what we need to do. We need to pull triggers. And the first trigger we need to pull for our church, this would not be for most churches because size will make all the difference whether this can even happen. I said, we have the opportunity, therefore we should start a teaching team so that my voice is not the sole voice that people hear for 40 years. They've been hearing my voice predominantly all this time. They need to hear multiple voices so that when my voice is gone, it's not going to be that big a deal. And I said, what's going to be important there is that if we don't do that, even though we will get a better voice than mine, it won't matter because it's not the same voice. And they've been too, you know, ingrained, this is the voice. I said, we don't want that. So as much as I can push back and lower profile and push others up, that's going to be a far better approach in making this a healthy transition so it's not we are all bound to one person. Don't want that. So that was the first trigger we pulled. Now we said, okay, we need some concentric circle. I said, we need some concentric circle type of options. We need more than one option. So I stated it like this. I put a bullseye. I said, here's a a target, and this is the bullseye right in the middle. That would be the ideal of ideals of ideals. And that is that we have somebody on on our team, our teaching team, 
ordained, obviously, to be on the teaching team, somebody on our teaching team, and when I leave, that person is already here and perfect to step right up, and everybody goes, it's pretty obvious, yeah, that he, he's the right one. Now, what are the chances of that happening, just humanly speaking? Not, obviously, we know that God ordains all things, but, um, you know, maybe not a high percentage of chances that that would happen in most situations, but hey, that would be ideal if it could happen. So anybody that we brought on to the teaching team, we would ask this question, do we see a possibility, not that we probably think they would, but do we think it's a possibility this person could one day step up for me if, if I were to exit unexpectedly, a death of something, or, you know, or I would leave the church? So that would be bullseye. Number two, next outer circle, but what if that doesn't happen? We said, well, let's have these guys. They'll be here three or four years, and then they'll go off and plant churches or go to other pastorates or wherever, and therefore we will know their DNA. They know our DNA. We kind of know how we fit together and so forth, and we'll have the right to go to them and say, would you like to come back to Perimeter where you were and pick up and be the senior pastor at this church? Would you like to do that? Maybe there's no one in that group that we, that we think qualifies, or number two, maybe there is, and they say, I really like where I am. I don't want to come. I don't want to go back to perimeter. Okay. Then we're, we've lost again. Okay. So now what next? So there's another ring that goes outside of that ring. That ring is, well, why don't we start a, and we were already church planting. Why don't we start a, a, um, a kind of a, a school of planting where we bring in a few guys, a residency program, as we call it, and bring in a couple of guys every year for a two-year residency, and then we plant two churches. Maybe we don't get two one year. We only got one, but we plant and plant. Every year, we're planting new churches. And now these people are living with us for two years. We get to know them. They get to know us. They're not on our teaching team, but now they're going off to plant a church, uh, and we plant in the Atlanta area, so we're going to have them close by. We're going to know them. There's a relationship. Maybe one of them. Well, what if none of them want to come back, or there's none of them that we think's the right person? So then what we started is one more ring out there, just as another option. We said, let's start a, a, a summer uh, preaching series, a four-week series, and let's call it Young Leaders Teaching Series. And let's find people who are reformed, that you know, would be people that could, could fit our church. And what if we were to invite them in, the young people that are good preachers, but we don't know, our, what are they beyond that? And then we can get to know them, and if we see somebody that, ooh, well, they connected well with us. Let's get to know them. And there was one person that I had on my prayer list for probably 10 years that I thought would be that person. I actually thought would be that person. And he came from that group. I never told anybody who it was. I didn't tell him who it, who it was. I will say I went to him at one point and I said, I'd just like to ask you this. If you ever choose to leave where you are, would you promise to let me know before you make any decision? That's as far as I went. It wasn't like... Hey, I'm, we want you at perimeter. But over time, I saw that he was not the right person. Probably five years ago, six, seven, eight years ago, I said, I don't think so. I don't think he's the right guy. So with that in mind, we said, okay, now what happens if that doesn't work? We can't go to any of those people. We do what every other church does. We do the dating game. By, let's take a couple of dates and let's get married and see if we like each other, you know, which is very similar to what happens in most churches in finding a new pastor. So my thought is the earlier you can plan and be thinking and have some options, depending upon the size of your church and the resources, you can't have all those options. I understand that. But my bigger point is this. 
One, why don't you think about it way beforehand and be preparing on an ongoing prayerful basis? And number two, why don't you, as a, as a church, why would you not start planning so that you would be able to have the right team make that decision? So here's how it played out with us. When we came to the time, now it is time. We had a reason why at 42 years, it's time. We had a, a very strong rationale for that. My wife, Carol, believed it. I believed it. The, uh, the elder team believed it. Uh, the, the team that was my staff team, I let them in on it. They believed it was good timing. So everybody seemed to agree with that. So who's going to be the pulpit committee or search committee, whatever you want to call it, nominating committee is what they really are. Who's going to be that? And so <clears throat> I went well before this ever it was exposed to the elder ministry team, the little commission. And I said, you and your spouses represent diversity of every type. Uh, we're talking about uh, ethnic diversity. We're talking about age diversity. We're talking you and your wives. Why don't you guys, why don't you be on a, on a, uh, a temporary nominating committee. I'm going to like to ask you, would you be on a temporary nominating committee? And all you're going to do, you have, no, you have no authority, but I'm going to ask you to vet Jeff out because we were believing Jeff was the right person. We want you to vet him. We want you to work and figure out, do you think he's the right guy? And let us know. Because I would like to nominate you as that nominating committee before the congregation at a congregational meeting. And they said they would serve in that capacity, not knowing whether they would or not. And when they finished and said, we're unanimous, we think he is the right person, then I, we picked the dates. And on a Tuesday, Thursday, and then Saturday and Sunday services, during those, those times, we announced it to the church. And on Tuesday, without the staff knowing that I was going to announce it, we said, we're going we're to do this. Come, you know, uh, they, they're already at our meeting, our regular monthly meeting. And I said, I'm going to tell you now, and I shared that I was leaving, you know, the position. I'm going to stay on this, that, and the other, and told him the whole story, why we thought it was the right thing. Said, now we think that Jeff is the right guy, but we, we'd like to find out from you. You know, give us a, kind of a straw vote. We want to know. And, um, and they voted, and it was 135 yes, zero no. We said, well, the staff's behind him, so we know that. So the next night, we went to the officers, and some of their wives were there, and for this particular meeting. They don't usually come to our meetings, but they were invited for dinner and so forth, and I, I shared it with them. And I said, okay, um, you know, we'd like to get you know, kind of a straw poll from you. What do you think? And it was, I think it was 293 to 3. And so we knew who the three were, and, and so went and talked to them. We'd like to hear your mind behind it. If anything, they were against Jeff or anything. It was this, that, or the other. We're doing this. We wish we were... And then they were fine. And in fact, I assume they voted in favor because that next Saturday and Sunday, then I told it to the church. And I said, next Sunday night, we're going to have a congregational meeting. And I'm going to, you're going to have two things to vote on. Will you vote on the nominated committee being the elder ministry team and their spouses? And then I'm going to tell you, if you do, you're really voting on Jeff because they're going to nominate Jeff unanimously. So... You let us know. And so the next night, that next Sunday night, boy, we were having tornadoes all that Sunday afternoon. It was a horrible time. I don't know, is anybody going to come? We packed the church out. Balcony, downstairs. I mean, it was packed out. And it was a unanimous vote in favor. So we felt like everybody seems to be on board with this. So let's move on. So in September, we'll make the transition. 
and, uh, and actually have the installation and so forth to do that. <clears throat> so that says we're not through it. You know, Jeff may screw up everything before we've ever even gotten anywhere. I don't know. I'm not concerned at all about that. But we, we don't know how it'll go. And I, and I certainly am hesitant doing this now because, you know, you don't want to talk about raising kids until after the kids are grown. And, and I'm talking about this before we've been through the succession. It could be, it could not be good. But that's the story, and I'm going to leave it there and ask you for a few questions, and then we'll... This is Jackie, my assistant. So, yes, Jackie. Do what now? So all the handouts that you mentioned are at slash GA2019. Yeah, and I said that right at first, right? Yeah. Okay. Got that. Then you mentioned EMT orientation. Oh, you mean all of those things are at this? All those things are at that one address. Oh, okay. I didn't understand that. Good. Thank you. Okay. Do you understand that? So I gave you all those different, you get them all right there at, at uh, GA2019. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Questions or anything involving any of this succession or what do we think about or why or anything? If not, we'll let you go. Any questions? I have yeah. So you, you planted the church all those years ago. Uh, so you're kind of like the daddy. Uh, so the question always is, up can the guy that plants the church, uh, can, can he stay there? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how would you respond to that? How's that been for you? Okay. The question is about the pastor staying on afterwards. He's been there all those years. Now he's staying on. Um, Gordon Moore, who is right here, Gordon's been on our staff for 30 years or whatever. Uh, Gordon took his sabbatical back years ago and traveled the country and and ask every question we could imagine, knowing that this was coming years down the road. And so I uh, worked up a full documentation on it and all. And what we found is there are great, some of the best stories are where the pastor um, stayed. Um, and we found out some of the worst stories were when pastors stayed. <laughs> right? So uh, there really wasn't a pattern. Uh, we even hired a consultant pretty much after we'd already done all of our planning. This was just this year. And and, and he said the same thing. He said, there's not a, yes, it's good or it's bad. It depends on the person and a lot of issues. And we looked at those issues. It has a lot to do with who the next guy coming in is. And so it, you really can't say what's best, in my opinion. I will say this. I have many know that one of my uh, two, uh, two of my primary uh, mentors, Frank Barker and Jim Baird. And, and Frank Barker um, you know, he's still technically on staff at 88 or nine years of age. I think he's still on staff at Briarwood. Never left. And, and uh, I've talked to the pastor that, that followed um, Dave Nicholas. Many of you know Dave uh, down at uh, Spanish River. And they're totally different personalities and so forth. And both of the successors, Harry and, and, and um, Tommy, both said it was extremely important to them that that pastor stayed because when the people who were, why are you doing it this way? I don't like that. They go to, they'd go to Jen, uh, Frank or they would go to, uh, you know, and say, and they go, Oh no, no, this, these, this is okay. You know, follow him. Let's go. So, um, we would hope and think that can happen with us. And that's the plan. If it doesn't, I need to get out of there. So good. Uh-huh. Yep. 
<laughs> I just ask you one thing. Don't let Jeff hear that, okay? <laughs> That's my only request. <laughs> Oops, he's here. Uh oh. Yeah. Yeah, and my role, as I've, no, I, no, we know. And I, I've told Jeff, obviously, I'm assistant pastor at this point. So, by the way, Joe Novison has just done the same thing, where he's become the assistant pastor to, the, to his assistant pastor, who's become the senior pastor. Um, uh, I told Jeff, it's, I have to do whatever he asks me to do or tells me to do, because I'm, I'm now on his team, and he's my leader uh, at, as, as of September 22. But I said, you know, I do have the right to, Resign if you ask me to be the children's pastor. That's not going to be my deal. I'm not going to want to do that. And I would probably say, okay, best for me to leave. But, but uh, we know that the vast majority of what I'm going to be doing is going to be with our life and life ministries, which is going to be outside of perimeter church ministries. You know that we're doing beyond and training and equipping. So uh, that gives me something to be focused on. Tommy Kiedis made the comment to me about Dave. He said Dave was so passionate about church planning. He just he burrowed right into his church planning ministry and the church thing. He just kind of. And I think it's important that that person have something very specific that they're committed to. I think that would be a help. But there is no guarantee. I mean, there really isn't. You know, show me a marriage of two people, regardless how you date and you learn each other, that you can say this is a guarantee. There is none. And, uh, but I think there are things you can do to make more likely to succeed. And, and, um, but I, I think... You know, I think these elders would. They, they know me. They'd come to me and say, Randy, it's not good you're here. You need to get out of here now. And at that point, I would do that. Okay? All right. Well, hopefully that's been some benefit. Let's pray and we'll let you go. Okay? Father, thank you for this time and for each church as it thinks about its future. And I pray that there may be some thoughts here that would be helpful to uh, make their transition or their succession a little bit better. I pray you would protect our churches. These are hard times when these happen, and I pray you would uh, let your kingdom come. Even better because we were here today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.